Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. In each episode, we choose a saga, explore the story and its themes and its historical relevance, and then we judge the actions of its characters at the Saga Thing. And we just want to start quickly by saying thank you to those of you who have rated and reviewed our podcast on iTunes. Absolutely. Those kind words are very much appreciated. Yeah, I mean, I have absolutely no idea about iTunes and podcast promotion in general. No, you can barely work your PC. Uh, it's true. <laughs> uh, but despite my ignorance, I do know the podcasts rise and fall according to their ratings. So the more we get, the better off we'll be. Exactly. We'd love to see this thing grow, and you guys can help make that happen by rating the podcast, leaving comments, and telling your friends about us. Right, and just think about how cool you'll look when you tell all your friends about how your favorite podcast is a survey of the Icelandic sagas. Mm. <laughs> Maybe don't phrase it that way. <laughs> you know, you know. I think you should mention Vikings. That that always gets everyone's attention. Oh, right, sure. Well, Vikings have a way of doing that. Indeed, they do. All right, on to business. Okay, it's great to be back. Yes, it is. Uh, we are kicking <laughs> off a new academic year with all that entails. Yeah, syllabi, a little mm-hmm. bit of lesson planning, lots of grading. There's mm-hmm. exams, article writing, uh-huh. department meeting. Okay, this is just getting depressing. My point was that we're also back in our podcasting chairs and ready to record another saga. Have we got an exciting one this time out? Indeed. Let me hit this button and you'll find out. In this episode, we follow Halfred the Troublesome Poet, whose lusty ways with women and his sharp tongue force him to abandon the comforts of home. With his lover Kolfina engaged to another, he journeys far and wide. In Norway, he becomes a follower of King Olaf Tryggvason, and by extension, a follower of Christ. The saga tells of Halfred's struggle to balance his heathen past with his Christian future. Along the way, he manages to gouge out some eyes, fend off a corpse, marry a stranger, and even make love to the beautiful Kolfina again. Will her husband Grease take it lying down, or will Halfred get the better of him again? Find out as Saga Thing takes on the saga of Halfred, the troublesome poet. Alfred saga, huh? All right. I'm reasonably excited. Try to contain yourself, John. He's a troublesome person. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Um, Halford's a weird one, and I think we're going to have some fun with him. Mm-hmm. This is a, I would characterize it as a love story with a twist. <laughs> it's a, a poet, his rival, the woman they love, and the proselytizing Norwegian king who turns out to be the poet's true love. <laughs> his true love? Really? That's what you got? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not the first person to notice that Halfred is more interested in King Olaf Tryggvason than in the lovely Kolfina. Uh, <laughs> Paul Schock says that Olaf's personality dominates Halfred from their first encounter until the end of the poet's life. Uh, and he argues that the story of Halfred's conversion is actually the point of the story. The oh, love yeah. story is just kind of tacked on. The love story between Olaf and, uh, <laughs> and Halfred? No, the love story between Halford and Kolfida. Oh, okay. I just want to be clear. See, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that's true. But, of course, the author doesn't necessarily intend for the saga to be read as part of a, a group of poet-warrior sagas like we're doing. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's no reason to think that he's operating according to genre expectations at all, which I think we should be careful of you know, noting with all the sagas we do. Yes, um, exactly. Halford's saga is kind of out there on its own. And I guess in some ways we could say that it's read, it reads almost as a commentary on the themes of sagas like Cormac's saga um, and the other warrior poet sagas. Uh, yeah, that's actually an excellent point. Um, and there is the argument that the author of this saga is writing an intentional parallel to King Olaf's own saga. Mm-hmm. Right, So he does have a theme in mind or a framework in mind, but it's not the framework that we sort of think of this saga as occupying. That's true. And you, uh, we actually see uh, bits of this story told from other perspectives in um, Olaf's saga in the Heimskringla. 
Absolutely right. Yeah. Um, and Sigurd Nordahl made this argument some time ago. And a number of other saga scholars have followed his logic. Uh, and now we're we're moving dangerously close to the book prosist line of argument. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but no, yeah. we want to get onto things. Let's get to the actual story. Yeah, um, sure, sure. Uh, there's just time for me to tell you that this saga is another of our briefer ones, weighing it at a slender ten thousand six hundred and forty words, or one point one six Ravenkel's sagas. <laughs> That's almost exactly what Gunlog's saga is, wasn't it? Uh, almost. It's good memory. Uh, this one's only a few hundred words longer. Well, these warrior poet sagas are kind of throwing off the curve. What are we going to do when we get to something long like Njal? I keep wondering about this. Njal, Lockstala, mm-hmm. Ale Saga, these really long <laughs> ones. Uh, well, for one thing, we won't be able to waste time on chit-chat. Well, why don't you get started then? All right. Uh, so our story begins with a Viking raid on a defenseless farming community on an island off the Norwegian coast. Well, no. It actually begins with a fa- <laughs> well, it does. It begins with a family tree centered on the father and grandparents of Halfred, who's going to be the main character. Okay, who who who's starting this thing? You told me to get started. Uh, besides, all the sagas begin with a family tree. This one dives right into the action by establishing a raid only a few sentences in. This is as close to in medias reus as the sagas get, and I'm not going to waste the opportunity. All right, all right. But before you carpe diem. I'm just going to note that the saga author introduces us to Thorvald the Discerning, mm-hmm. his wife Thorgird, their son Otar, and Thorvald's illegitimate son Thorkel Silver. Okay, but then there's a raid. Hang on, hang on just a second. <sighs> it's important to note that Otar isn't living – am I saying his name correctly? Otar? I say it closer to Otter, but Otter? it's fine. It doesn't matter. I'll go with Otter. You know, we uh, – we don't know how to pronounce anything. <laughs> it's important to note that Otter isn't living with his parents, since he's being fostered by Ingjald, a neighbor on the island, who has a son of his own named Aval- Avaldi. <laughs> how do you say that one? Avaldi. Avaldi. Not that. <laughs> Not like it's a spicy meatball. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. He, well, he's got a son named Avaldi. Uh, so is there anything else you need to add? Well, just that Otter has an uncle, Galti, who lives on the mainland, and that's probably going to be important later. Okay. Are you happy now? Well, it's all established we, in the beginning. We... Lay some Good. groundwork that okay. I need. Okay. Uh, so there's a raid. There's a Viking named Salki mm-hmm. who attacks Thorvald's farm. He's a particularly nasty sort of Viking, and he goes in for burning people alive in their homes. Mm. He torches Thorvald's house after exchanging a few words with Thorvald. And 16 people die in the attack and burning. Now, it's been a while since we racked up a body count like this in the saga's first pages. 16 all at once? Uh, yeah, I know. And if we him. never hear from them again, we can probably assume that Otter's mother and half-brother are among the dead. So we've got a classic tale now of a young man out to avenge his family. Now, we haven't talked much about this, but Viking raids weren't just a problem for the rest of Europe. Men like mm-hmm. Saki weren't too particular about where they raided, and attacking a farm in Norway really saved a lot of travel time. And, True. And gas money. <laughs> right. Yeah, so Scandinavians had to deal with this sort of thing, too. Right. But Saki seems to be totally sociopathic. <laughs> uh, he he next raids Ingjald's farm, where he refuses once more to allow anyone out of the house before setting it on fire. Uh, Ingjald grabs Otter and Avaldi and shoves them out a secret exit before the fire engulfs the house. Wait, no. Why, why doesn't he go with him? He's got an opportunity, obviously. It's an excellent question. Uh, this seems to be one of those fate moments that we see sometimes in the sagas. Ingyal believes it's his time to die, but he thinks the boys have better luck and fates in store. Mm. Well, that luck seems to come into play right away. The boys do get away. They manage to find a ship and leave the island. 
And then they sign on to a herring boat to make their way south to where Otter's uncle Galti lives. See, I told you we need to know that stuff. Mm-hmm. There you go. So they, right. they live with Galti for about eight years, and they grow into promising young men. And Otter even takes part in the battle at Fityar, where King Hakon dies. Huh. Eventually, they take to the seas. They spend a few years trading between England and Norway. And then they decide to move to Iceland. But before they go, they're going to want to have revenge for what happened to their fathers. Well, it's about time. Well, it definitely is. By my count, at least a dozen <laughs> years have passed since the burnings. And these two have been mm-hmm. grown men for like uh, at least half that time. Well, you know what they say. Revenge is the dish best served over a decade later. <laughs> right. I mean, it's not like their plan is particularly complicated. Like, it took a decade to plan it. They just send a co-conspirator named Stein to drink in Saki's house with Saki and his friend Saki. Are they drinking Saki? Saki. Possibly. Saki with Saki? Yes. Yeah, Saki and Sodi drink Saki. Then, <laughs> uh, after Stein gives the... Presumably they're drinking Saki out of Stein's. Uh, <laughs> when Stein gives them the signal, Otter and Avaldi rush into the house kill Saki and wound Saki and run out again. Mm, it's clever. It's hardly Edmund Dante level stuff. <laughs> nice Count of Monte Cristo reference thrown in there. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think what happens to Saudi can be dismissed as a mere wounding though. Well, okay. But I mean, it's not like hey, it's hey, a hey, big they, killing. They cut his buttocks off. Okay. It is pretty nasty. They cut, <laughs> they cut him off. His butt tucks. <laughs> I know, yeah. I know. And undoubtedly we'll revisit that in Best Bloodshed. We better. Uh, have, until then, Sadi will be standing around waiting for us. <laughs> Poor guy. Us. Well, he's not going to be sitting, that's for sure. Right, exactly. Uh, for now, uh, although it's not an especially clever plan, it works. Uh, Saki's death angers Gunhild, the Norwegian mother of kings. And we're going to see her again later. Oh, so many names already. I bet I know, everyone I know. listening is going, I don't know what's going on. Right. You should have your pen and paper out already. Yeah, yeah you uh, need to be uh, doing the genealogy <laughs> along with us. Uh, for now, though, Otto and Avaldi emigrate to Iceland and settle in Vatnsdal, where they both raise families. Avaldi has a beautiful daughter named Kolfina, uh, while Otto has sons named Halfred and Galti and a daughter named Valgerd. Yeah, the saga author now digresses for a bit to tell a story about Valgerd Otto's daughter. She catches the eye of Ingolf, the son of Thorstein the Gothi. More names for you. Mm-hmm. Now, fans of the sagas will know about Vatnsdala saga. And Thorstein is an important member of the central family from that saga. Yeah, I've always thought of Vatnsdala as being one of the more underrated sagas. I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, me too. But this is just sort of an extended cameo, which is why you can't choose him as Thingman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Ingolf is, is kind of insolent to Otter. And he writes a love poem to Volgard, which is always controversial. Well, this prompts Otter to summons him. Now, Ingolf's family connections are pretty hard to beat. And although Otter wins the case, he's forced to accept a judgment that includes having to relocate his family to a completely different part of Iceland. Right. But before the relocation can happen, there's this inconvenient affair to deal with. Of course there is. Now, this wouldn't be a poet saga without uh, love poems and uh, and affairs, would it? Yeah, I mean, this this is sort of an odd one, though. Uh, Otar's son, Halfred, has fallen in love with Kolfina and visits her regularly, but he doesn't want to take a wife. Uh, for obvious reasons, this makes Kolfina's dad, Avaldi, uneasy, and he and his friend Mar arrange to introduce Kolfina to an accomplished adventurer named Gris Samingson. What's that all about? I mean, I don't understand what the problem is with Halfred. There's a pretty clear indication that everyone would be content if he just married Kolfina. Um, it, it's, I think it creates an interesting dynamic in the story, and I think it really sets Halford apart from the other warrior poets. Uh, unlike Gunlag in our last episode, or Bjorn, or Cormac, or any of them, 
Holford has a clear opportunity to marry his love, and he just refuses to do so. Well, as you said earlier, his true love is going to be King Olaf. Well, we don't know that yet, of course. <laughs> he um, knows it in his heart, though. Right, there you go. He's waiting for his one true yeah. Christian king. Yeah, there's a pious king waiting uh, out there for him somewhere. <laughs> With dreamy blue eyes. Um, so, Gris, uh, Mar, and a group of their friends visit Avaldi's farm to discuss the marriage match. Uh, but while they're there, Halford stops by to see Colfina and notices the pile of weapons left outside the house by Gris's party. He deduces that they're there because one of them is hoping to marry Colfina, and of course, he's not happy about it. That's a lot of deducing. Hmm. <laughs> so Colfina has some of the same problems with the lack of free will that we talked about with Helga the Fair and Gunlaug Saga. But she's definitely mm-hmm. not the complacent, near-mute that Helga was. She tells Halfred to leave the matter to those with a right to decide it, but then sits with him outside a room and starts kissing him in full view of anyone passing through the door, <laughs> in or out. Quite forward. It, seriously. Um, while Halfred's busy getting to first base, uh, Gris completes the contract with Avaldi for Kolfina's hand. Um, and as he's leaving, he spots the couple making out and asks who they are. <laughs> Probably asks where her hand is. <laughs> the first impression is that he just doesn't know them, which is actually true. He hasn't seen mm-hmm. either of them before, and that includes his now fiance. But mm-hmm. the whole truth is more interesting. Greece is nearsighted, and he really can't tell what's going on at any distance. <laughs> <laughs> I love that detail. So uh, that's got to be a serious problem for him. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny, but you know, you think in this culture, that's got to be a very uh, serious you problem. Know, as a glasses-wearing uh, medievalist, I've often wondered if I got yes! sent through a time portal. I haven't actually wondered this. Um, well, <laughs> but but now I do. If I was sent through a time portal to some distant land, or if we had the apocalypse and I'm wandering around, uh, uh, if my glasses break, I'm in big trouble. I think you've probably got a lot of other problems at that point. I'm um, worried about my glasses. I, mean, I have to say that I think a, mom- a moment like this makes me wonder why this kind of thing doesn't come up more often in the text. Yeah, I mean, presumably nearsightedness, glaucoma, macular degeneration, general vision deterioration with age had to be a problem for a lot of people. That's true. But it's striking how rarely something like this comes up. Well, you know, it does come up with ale, right? Ale becomes blind. True, absolutely. In his old right. age. Yeah. But yeah. again, then maybe yeah. that's the glaucoma thing or something. But Right. Well, why don't we well, try to enough. do better than Grease's eyes and stay a little bit more focused here? We've got a lot to cover still. <laughs> uh, okay, fine. Avaldi um, tells uh, tells Gris that it's Colfina and Halfred out there and that it's Gris's problem now to deal with Halfred. Yeah, that makes sense. Avaldi's uh, so eager to get Colfina hitched, mainly because he wants Halfred dealt with. So it actually mm-hmm. works out pretty well for him that they're all there right away. Uh, yeah, but Gris doesn't rise to the bait at first, and so he heads to his horse to ride away. But Halfred's not going to let it go. He taunts Gris and threatens to be his enemy and then composes insulting verses about both Gris and Mar. He calls Gris a fretting old pantry dog. The anger of the busy bucket sinker, a true pansy, all heathen, is about as terrible to my eyes as if fair-sized, outside, worst of all when guests arrive at the pantry door, an aged pantry dog fretted. Which is really quite a uh, quite nice turn of phrase. Yeah, and astoundingly, Gris still doesn't react. He remains quiet. But when Halford rides off with his cousin Olaf, Mar and Gris take their seven men and chase after them. Yeah, I thought they only had five others with them. No, Avaldi sends two extra young men along with them. Okay. All right. Well, so Avaldi is just openly interested in getting Halford killed at this point, I think. Yeah. Uh, oh, I have to say, I, I see his point. I mean, the band of armed men might be a little excessive, 
But Holford's behavior with Colfina is really problematic. Well, yeah, he was a bit, a bit uh, well, I mean, yeah, it's, forward with It's her. bad enough that he's been courting Colfina with no intention of marrying her. Uh, and this provocation of Gris in Ivaldi's own homestead is certainly a provocation to Ivaldi as well. Well, he got the reaction he was looking for, but he's not actually prepared for the consequences very well. I mean, no. Gris's men catch up to Holford and Olaf, and they surround him on a hillock. There's a fight, but the two men are quickly captured. Captured? Yeah. Are you sure it doesn't say anything about their bloody deaths? No, no, no. It turns out Gris is quite reasonable, and despite the fact that Halford was making out with his fiancée right in front of him, uh, <laughs> he merely binds Halford and Olaf up. It's disappointing. Well, it's a good thing for him, as it turns out. Halford's mm-hmm. father, Otter, and 30 other men ride up to them immediately afterwards, and since Halford wasn't harmed, Otter lets Gris go after extracting a promise of self-judgment against him, and when Otter unties Halford, it's clear that Halford's in no mood to be reasonable and grumbles about challenging Gris to a duel as soon as possible. Well, I mean, at least he understands some constraints of the warrior-poet tradition. I mean, dueling is practically a requirement for these guys. Ah, uh, but Otter gets word of Halford's plan and has him recaptured and trussed up again, <laughs> refusing to let him go until he agrees to leave Iceland for a good while. That's just that's just good Icelandic parenting right there. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he only learns about the plan because good old cousin Olaf narks on him. <laughs> uh, and you could make the argument this is a little harsh. I mean, in effect, Otter is imposing minor outlawry on his own son. True, but under the circumstances, it's not hard to see why Otter would want to get Halford away from the area for a while. Oh, and, and meanwhile, Colfina and Gris mm-hmm. get married at uh, Mars Farm. I heard it was a lovely occasion. Well, but there you go. we are told that Colfina doesn't have much affection for her husband. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that whole story goes on the back burner because now it's time for Halford to go wandering. In Actually, exile. you could say that Colfina's on the back burner for pretty much this entire saga. I mean, of yeah, all the warrior poet sagas, this one seems least interested in the romance angle that dominates the others. It's really more about a poet's relationship with a king and the bond of friendship that unites them. So it's kind of like a, a bromance. Okay, yes. <laughs> I mean, we, we, yeah, last time, I think with Gunlog, we did talk about a bromance at one point, but maybe we were being misleading. This is the true romance. Yeah. Uh, of the yeah, it's almost like he started he started uh, writing this with, thing and thought it was going to be a romance and then got into the mm-hmm. travels part and was like, this is a lot cooler, a lot more fun. Right. I mean, and when we say bromance, obviously with fewer college frat hijinks than that usually implies. Yeah. But no, essentially, no uh, snapping towels and such. Exactly. Uh, Holford spends a few years traveling and building a reputation as a poet and trader. And one day he learns that Olaf Tryggvason has taken control of Norway and brought Christianity with him. Halford and his crew devise a test to get a sense of this new religion. They put to sea, and they'll let the wind guide them. If the winds blow them to Sweden, they'll make a huge donation to Frey. Frey is, the, is one of the gods, a fertility god, for those who are unfamiliar with the pantheon. Uh, if they're blown to Iceland, they'll give money to Thor and Odin. Uh, but if the ship is becalmed, they'll go to Norway and let King Olaf decide what they should do. Which, in this context, pretty much means converting to Christianity. Sort of. But nothing's ever that simple with Halford. Well, at first he's got to land safely. And there's mm-hmm. a contrary wind in the harbor at Trondheim, and Halford's ship is in trouble. A ship approaches, and its owner is a green-cloaked man who calls himself Ankerfluke. <laughs> and he, he helps to guide them in safely. Ankerfluke? Seriously? Yeah, sure, why not? Ankerfluke. <laughs> anyway, okay. this turns out to be a fake name, if you can imagine. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's a fake, fake name. Halford, oh, okay. Halford actually learns later that the green-cloaked man was none other than King Olaf Tryggvason. Ah. So this <laughs> king of Norway, who's trying to convert all Scandinavia to Christianity and hold off the armies of Sven Forkbeard, yeah. 
is spending his spare time disguising himself under a ridiculous name and rescuing incompetent sailors. Yeah, it's good to be king, you know? Gotta <laughs> hang out in the harbor. I, I'd See, say this, this might go a long way toward, toward explaining Olaf's death later. Uh, I'm guessing his opponents weren't busy trying to pretend to be a nautical superhero in their spare time. <laughs> is that what he's doing? All right, well, we'll get to his death eventually. Spoiler. So, Halford, <laughs> Halford offers to convert to Christianity, but on the condition that Olaf agrees to support him no matter what in the future. And that Olaf himself serve as Halford's baptism sponsor. I mean, this whole, this whole episode, it's, mm-hmm. uh, available in, uh, in Heimskringla. If you go to King, Al- King Olaf's right. saga, right. you'll, you'll mm-hmm. see this whole thing, uh, played out. Mm-hmm. And it's quite interesting. Halford's only a minor character in that one, though. Right. I mean, in some ways, yeah, the saga is sort of breaking out one of the supporting roles from Olaf's saga into a full-blown story. That's right. Uh, and I have to say, this is actually a fairly crafty move by Halford, uh, because it sets up a very powerful man, Olaf, as godfather to Halford, and it forges a real bond between them. Right. I have the impression that Olaf is just bemused by this guy. He's so audacious that Olaf just goes along with his request to see what will happen next. Mm-hmm. But Olaf takes the godfather role seriously. And he sets his brother and uncle to teach Halford Christian doctrine. It is the creed of the sovereign of Sogn to ban the sacrifices. We must renounce many a long-held decree of Norns. All mankind casts Odin's words to the winds. Now I am forced to forsake Freya's kin and pray to Christ. He also likes to set up these little tests for Halford. Yeah. Uh, at one point, Halford composes a praise poem about Olaf, and as thanks, Olaf gives Halford a sword without a sheath and tells him to keep it uncovered for three days without anyone getting hurt. Halford returns the favor, though, by continuing to praise the Norse gods. I mean, Olaf mm-hmm. insists on verses praising God, but Halford intersperses them with compliments to Odin, Freya, and all the other Norse gods. Right, and and at first all the tests turn out okay. Mm-hmm. Halford takes good care of the sword, and Olaf likes the more Christian of Halford's poems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everything's going fine. Ah, uh, but it's not going to last. It never does. <laughs> Halford gets into an argument with uh, Otter and Kalf, two brothers uh, in Olaf's retinue, and he kills Otter. Why do they got to have a guy named Otter? We've already right. got. Yeah, one. I was to say we should you be know? clear. This is a different Otter. Yeah, uh, but it, it should be also be pointed out. He kills Otter, but not with the sword he got from Olaf. Good boy. No. He uses an axe that he once received from Earl Hawken the Powerful. Mm. I like the symbolism there, actually. What's that? Halford uses a weapon with pagan associations to kill this guy. That's true. While avoiding blooding Olaf's sword on one of Olaf's own followers. That's a savvy move. Maybe, but maybe not a smart one either. <laughs> Halford is. Put- I never said Halford was smart. Yeah. Once again, Halford is put into chains, and Otter's brother Kaf demands that he be executed for having killed a man in the king's chamber. Mm. So when Halford is brought before the king, he reminds Olaf of his promise to support him, and that Halford is his godson. Oh, it's another savvy move. It is. <laughs> yeah, Halford's turning out to be a little smarter than I originally expected him to be. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's actually a nice change from Gunlog in our last episode. Well, he's not off the hook yet, you know. Mm-hmm. As part of reconciling himself to Olaf, Halford has to compose a verse with the word sword in every line of the poem. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be a good poem, which is fortunate for Halford because it isn't. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not so bad. The poem he comes up with is this. One sword among swords has made me sword-rich for brandishing yards of swords 
Sword plenty now there'll be. There would be no sword problem. I'm worthy of three swords. If there were a sword strip, a sheath for that sword. Now, Olaf hmm. is very impressed. <laughs> he should be impressed. That's quite nice. And as a reward, he gives Halford a sheath for the sword that he gave him a while back. Halford gets away with that poem? Yeah. What, what about good. the seventh line? We're just going to accept that sward strip is close enough? Well, he gets points for clever wordplay, I suppose. Isn't sward another word for twer- turf, though? Yeah. He's a, <laughs> yeah. It sounds I like sword. He's apparently he's making a reference to the peace arch that was made from turf and used to seal friendship. Uh, we saw something similar being made in Gizli Saga, remember? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so anyway, a sheath is like a peace arch. And so there you go. It's all, it's all good. No, no, there I don't go. I, I can't believe he got away with that. Hey, linguistically, they are, uh, what do you call those? They, uh, they sound the same. They're, um, 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 are they homonyms? homophones? Homophones. Anyway. So, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> Things are still unsettled in Olaf's court, with Kaf accusing Halford of secretly maintaining his pagan faith. And to get Halford out of the way and force him to prove his Christian faith, Olaf sends him to Opland to blind Thorleif the Wise, who has refused to convert. The bastard. Uh, <laughs> I must have missed the Sunday school class that covered blinding those who refuse the faith. Yeah, Olaf's got a quirky style to his Christianity. <laughs> um, Halford's also a little skeptical about this approach to religious debate, but he rides to Thorleaf's farm anyway. Mm-hmm. He attempts a bit of subterfuge, claiming to be a wanderer who ran away from Olaf's court to avoid converting. Uh, Thorleaf almost immediately figures him out, and the two of them fight. And in the struggle, Halford manages to gouge out one of Thorleaf's eyes. Yeah, I really liked this scene. And what I really like <laughs> about it is that Thorleaf seems to take the loss of one eye pretty well. He, he does, actually. Uh, all he asks is that Halfred leave him the other eye in exchange for gifts. Yeah, it's reasonable. Uh, right. But Halfred doesn't want to be bribed into betraying Olaf's trust. So he th- spares Thorleaf anyway, but on his own responsibility. And the two men part as friends. Now, you'd think that people would notice that Thorleaf's still got one eye. Uh, well, Halfred's got a plan for that, too. Of course he does. Uh, he makes a detour by way of Kalf's farm on the way back and rips one of Kalf's eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> Is it really that easy to pull someone's eye out? Halford's really good at this. He must have practiced. I, I have no idea. There's probably a technique to it that we don't know about. It's all in the wrists, you know. You gotta <laughs> just, it's just a flick of the wrist. Nope. <laughs> um, anyway, Halford uh, presents Kalf and Thorleaf's eyes to Olaf and admits that he attacked Kalf. Yeah. Uh, maybe the eyes are different colors or something as we give it a giveaway. Uh, Olaf lets the incident go, though, and he's reasonably pleased with events. And presumably he adds the eyes to his collection. <laughs> He's got a collection, a nice little necklace I, of eyes that he wears. As I said, his Christianity is a bit different than what I'm accustomed to. <laughs> well, pretty soon, Halford gets restless and he begins traveling again. He falls in with an elderly trader named Aldgiesel, and the two of them begin a dangerous overland trip with a pack of mules. I don't think we see mules all that often in the sagas. No, nice, it's true. Nice to see some mules. They meet a large man named Onund in the mountains. And the three of them travel together for a day before stopping at an empty hut. Uh, now, we I know that uh, listeners may be getting confused because there's sort of a lot of different stories going on here. Mm-hmm. Halford just kind of has these episodic adventures. But this one to me is just, this is the premise of like every bad horror film from like the late <laughs> 90s. You know, a group, of, a group of people stop at the end of the day by an empty hut in the woods. <laughs> well, it doesn't take long for the horror to start. <laughs> Onund kills Aldgizel. And then attacks Halfred. 
But as Axe Blow bounces off a blade, Halford happens to have slung over his back, and the two men mm-hmm. fight. And after praying to Olaf's Christian god, Halford overpowers Onan and runs him through with a sword. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder so why he didn't take Hal- his eyes out. <laughs> He's operating on his own recognizance here. Oh, okay. a, this- yeah, the, the eyes are strictly something he does on spec. Okay. Uh, in this case, so Halford now finally embraces Christianity and kills another guy. It's actually not that horrifying. No, not at all. But it's at least over. Oh, it's not over. <laughs> no, it's not over. <laughs> it's not over at all. Halford locks himself into the hut. You don't say. And all night long, Onan's corpse bangs on the door and the walls trying to get in. Ah, okay, that's better. Yeah, so like uh, uh, the Army of Darkness. Sure, exactly. Right, just like that. Yeah, just like it. A little more horrifying. Now, this is actually something that we see a lot of. Um, saga writers seem to use the undead as a way of highlighting the chaos of the pre-Christian world. Uh, I also think it's in part an articulation of a kind of unease about the fate of the pagan dead in a Christianized land. That's true. Well, in this case, Halford has to keep the door blocked until sunrise, when the corpse vanishes and then he can escape. Though mm-hmm. uh, though not until he's taken the knife and belt away from Odgisel's body. So Halford's on his own again. Well, there's Christ behind him, of course. Right, but sure, yes, fair enough. Yes, he is. He eventually meets a red-bearded woodcutter named Bjorn, who invites him to spend the night. Oh, and the this, beginning of this, another horror movie. <laughs> These woods are just rife with premises for horror films. <laughs> After his last experience, Halford's a little suspicious, naturally. Rightly so. And so he waits in hiding in the bed closet that night, which is hilarious to imagine. <laughs> sure enough, Bjorn sneaks in and stabs the bed where he thinks Halford is lying, and Halford leaps out and kills him. That's where Tolkien gets the idea, right? Right, there you go, there you go. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed a pattern here. Everyone wants to kill Halford. Well, you can add Bjorn's wife to the list. She, <laughs> she's angry about her husband's death, which I uh-huh. guess makes sense. And sure. when the men of the farmstead capture Halford, she sends for the local Gothi, who agrees that Halford should be killed. Yeah, I mean, technically they sentence him to be sacrificed. Wait, wait can I just uh, ask, is he tied up again? Uh, Yes, I believe Man, he is. he spends his... Yeah, he spends a, a lot, lot of time, time in bondage. Wow. Uh, All right. So I think this is another dig by the author at Pagan Era Morals, right? They're mm. going to sacrifice him. Uh, but fortunately for Halfred, the Gothi's daughter is Ingebjorg, the wife of Halfred's fallen friend, Audgisel. Oh, boy. See, if you haven't been taking notes, you're probably lost. But if you See? have, you know exactly what's going on here. Right. So in other words, the um, the man who Halfred lost in that first horror movie uh, is going to – or the wife. See, you're even having trouble explaining it. Hang on, hang on. Uh, So, uh, to make it simpler, the wife of the man who died in the first horror movie is now going to save Halfred from the consequences of his actions in the second horror movie. Yeah, that makes it much clearer. There you go. Thank you. Uh, When Halfred identifies himself as the avenger of Algisel's death, he's released into her custody. Ah, okay. Yes, and since avenging a widow's dead husband is apparently some kind of foreplay in this saga... They immediately fall in love and, despite their religious differences, get married. What? <laughs> this has <laughs> got to be the, the weirdest element of the saga. And I completely I forgot you? that that happened. Yeah. Halfred, Halfred refused to marry his supposed great love and now mm-hmm. he's marrying some random pagan widow? I mean, is the author <laughs> just having trouble remembering that Kolfin is in the saga or what's going on here? Uh, it does seem strange. But um, as you've said, this is a saga that's really more about the conversion era and the relationship between Halford and Olaf than it is about the love, supposedly, between Halford and Kolfina. Yeah. But marrying a pagan woman just makes this all even more complicated to me. 
That's true. And Halford seems not to have taken up the Christian faith completely. Yeah. Uh, his only religious observance, we're told, is making the sign of the cross over his cup before drinking. <laughs> but even that, there may be a practical reason for doing that. And this isn't something to do with transubstantiation miracle, is it? Or maybe he's just wiping uh, flies away? <laughs> no, I think it's supposed to protect him from poison. Oh. Uh, a number of saints' lives include episodes in which a saint crosses a poisoned cup, which is then either purified or, in some cases, explodes. Explodes? You're exaggerating, right? <laughs> it maybe shatters or something. Hmm. No, I like the idea of a saint's life filmed by Michael Bell. <laughs> Do away with all that spiritual depth and spirit and allegory and replace it with good-looking people and lots of stuff blowing up. Eh, who needs moving religious narrative when you can have extra explosions? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, the crossing works, I guess, in that Halford is never poisoned. But after mm-hmm. a few years, he does have a dream in which King Olaf scolds him for neglecting his faith. So mm-hmm. Halford and Ingeborg and their two-year-old son, Aldgiesel... Oh, what a right. nice so let's name. just make the point here that they've been that Halford now has been in this land for a long time. He's got a two year old son with this woman. Yeah, and they named their their son after the guy that was killed, who brought right. Ingeborg and, and Halford together. There you go. Quite there nice. There is a romance in this in this story after all. There you go. Lovely. Outgiesel uh, and his parents travel to Olaf's court in Norway, where Ingeborg gives birth to a second son named Halford for his father, and Halford Senior composes a drapa. That is a praise poem of the Christian version of creation, which is meant to appease Olaf. So everyone's happy. Yeah, sure. Not for long. That winter, Ingeborg <laughs> dies. Oh, I had a feeling that wasn't going to last. Against me, Frey and Freya will bear fury and the mighty Thor. Last year I left off Njord's deceit. Let fiends ask mercy of Grimnir. From Christ alone will I beg all love and from God. Hateful to me is the son's anger. Under the father of earth, he holds famous sway. So Halford decides to visit Iceland to take his mind off of his grief. He finds foster mm-hmm. homes for his sons and heads out. Hey, wouldn't it be nice to be a father in Iceland? You're just like, uh, <laughs> ah, just drop you your know, kids off the nearest farm and say, my wife eh, send them when they're 18. I want to see the world a little bit. Uh, I'll find someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems like how that... That happens a lot in the Middle Ages. Right. Watch my right. son. And of boy. course, <laughs> do they just leave him in a, in a in a in like a little buggy next to the house? Knock on the no, door. No, no. They... <laughs> what I think is funny is that he leaves his sons with sort of nary a word, but then we have this sort of big emotional scene with Olaf where he leaves. Yeah, yeah. He gives him gifts to carry with him. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, yeah. Uh, so saying. it's finally time for Halford to go back to Iceland and see Kolfina again. Well, in fact, Halford and his men ride directly to Kolfina and Greece's farm. Hmm. Where they're well, this is weird too, John. Yeah, he, his wife just dies, and so to curse yeah. him, oh yeah, I've got that woman back. Oh in, right, in the Iceland. the woman that the saga says I'm supposed to be in love with. Yeah, I remember I when I was kissing her. with her when she was getting right. engaged. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's a, yeah, they are uh, greeted at the farm by Colfina and other, several other women. So mm-hmm. Halford and Colfina end up in bed together. You know, in, in as one, one does of, in one of the farm's outbuildings. It didn't take long at all. Clearly, she remembers him. <laughs> Halford recites several insulting verses about Gris, which he claims Kolfina must have written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the verses claim that <laughs> Gris is a sweating, stinking, ugly klutz in bed. <laughs> and Jeez. Kolfina is suffering greatly from having to put up with him. And also that Gris is probably happier committing acts of bestiality in his barn than sleeping with his wife. Which, you know, could be true. <laughs> Scarcely will the white fellow stride, 
helmet slicing by the pantry. He will go without the ire of coins, nor the grey dog strut, though the scythe shover, unlovely, has a wide milking shed and a long sheep pen. The sword plains keeper enjoys his livestock. Now, okay, any one of those would be a killing insult. Uh, <laughs> and collectively, it's about as bad as you're ever going to see. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, Colfin is not happy with him for causing trouble. Uh, in the morning, Halford and his men ride away just before Gris arrives, and Colfina refuses Halford's attempt to placate her with a gift before he goes. Yeah. The gift, by the way, is, is the cloak that Halford got from King Olaf a while back. But we didn't talk about him getting a cloak, did we? No. Uh, but he did but, get a cloak for those who yes, absolutely. haven't read the saga. Uh, and, of course, this is one of those motifs within the poet sagas. Some of you might remember that Helga the Fair... In Gunlog's saga, mooned over a cloak Gunlog had given her until she finally died of a broken heart. Yeah. It's instructive to read this group of sagas back to back like this. You definitely get a sense that there's a source text or a tradition that they're all accessing. Mm-hmm. But here again, they're aware case, of each other in some way. Right, absolutely. Uh, but here again, the author of Halford's saga is kind of playing with this motif a little bit in that Colfina just rejects the gift completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when Gris arrives at the outbuilding, he sees the Colfin is upset and he rides out after Halford, bringing his cousin, Einar Thorison, with him. They chase Halford's party down and catch them midway across a river. Let me guess, does he tie him up again? No, no, Gris isn't wasting any time. Uh, this time he throws a spear at Halford without saying a word. Oh, I do like a man of action. No, no, but unfortunately for Gris, Halford catches the spear and throws oh. it back. And Gris's cousin, Einar, is killed. Of course. Uh, now, there are some taunts from both sides, but there's no further violence at that point. It's interesting that we're told here that the people gathered there, they start pressuring Halford to compensate Gris for the dishonors he's received. It seems almost mm-hmm. like popular opinion begins turning against Halford at this point. Yeah, no, I think so. Uh, especially when he refuses flat out to compensate Gris and rides away. Well, why should he compensate him? No, fair enough. Uh, so yeah. the, the next attack occurs the following spring as Halford is riding back from his brother's farm and, and a blizzard kicks up. Uh, Halford's relieves the storm was called up by sorcery, as any Christian would. And sure. whether that's true or not, it provides cover for 20 men led by Gris's old friend Mar of Mastather. Uh, and they try to attack Halford's party. Yeah, this is just a weird moment. Yeah. Mar attacks with a sacrificial trough. What? <laughs> sure. Which seemingly makes no sense at all for an ambush weapon, you know? Uh, and not after- Seemingly, I think it makes no sense at all, but yeah. <laughs> no, how about you? <laughs> After one exchange of blows, the two sides separate, and Halford taunts Mar with a verse, and both parties ride away. Great, but why? What? What's going on? <laughs> well, I mean, the saga I'm, is so confusing. I'm just gonna guess. This mm-hmm. episode is added to the saga in order to justify the verse Halford speaks. The verse includes a reference to Mar being better off licking the inside of his sacrificial trough than attacking Halford. So maybe we have a poet, but, you know, or the, the, the author of this right. thing has a poem that survived and. But there's no suggestion in the poem that the trough has to be present at the time that the poem is spoken. Yeah, I have to agree. I'm not saying it's a good reason. It's just a reason. That's what I think. All right. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Halford's verse making is increasingly a problem. That much is obvious. Uh, Gris hears that Halford's continuing to mock him with verses and summons his Halford to the local thing on the advice of his Gothi, Hunrad. Uh, Halford and his brother Galti respond by asking their uncle, Thorkel Scratcher, for support. He agrees to support them and to arbitrate if both sides are willing. Yeah. Have we seen Thorkel Scratcher before? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he should. I thought so. 
Um, but there's treachery afoot, of course. Halford's mm-hmm. behavior toward Colfina has angered her family. And as mm-hmm. Halford and Galti leave Thorkel's booth, Colfina's brother Brand attacks them and kills Galti before escaping. And I'll point and out here, now that we're mm-hmm. back in Iceland, we've got tons of names flowing again. Because right. maybe we could think about why that's happening. It's Iceland, the, the Icelandic narrative anyway, is all about community, mm-hmm. isn't it? About how these individuals right. work in these tight communities. And so right. it's not surprising that we run into so many names. But boy, it can be confusing. And, of course, the genealogical connections of the audience for the sagas mm-hmm. and the participants in the story, right? That uh, the more kind of cameos you put in from known names and known ancestors, the the wider a swath of 13th century Iceland you're going to be appealing to. Yeah. So, again, read them uh, with a pen in hand and a little right, note paper so you can keep track of these things. Uh, it all They all eventually come together. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, in this particular case, yeah. uh, Brand- we have, I mean, Bran's sort of actions here, they're pretty audacious. Yeah, they are. I mean... We've seen assassinations carried out at things before. Uh, if you remember the sons of Vestin Vestinson killing Thorkel Sursen in Gisli Saga, for example. Sure. But this feels almost spontaneous. Uh, Bran's entire exit strategy is to run back to Gris's booth, even though Halford got a good look at him. And sure enough, Halford and Thorkel Scratcher rush to Gris's booth, where they threaten to besiege the booth if Brand isn't given up. Yeah, and there's a great moment here where Bran's mother, Hilda, confronts Thorkel and reminds him of the time that she sheltered him from the Avengers of Gladir. Yeah, and that's a long story from Vatnsdala Saga, but the mm-hmm. upshot is that Hilda's quite right. Thorkel was probably justified in killing Gladir, but he still owes her his life for ha- for hiding him. Right, but in this case, Thorkel nevertheless pushes ahead with demanding Bran. Uh, but he and Halfred allow the women to leave the booth first, and Bran sneaks out, hidden in a woman, woman's cloak. They come right out of the booth. The booth. This is something that we see in other places, uh, in other sagas, right? Yeah. Uh, the one, of course, that first comes to mind is the famous burning of Njal's farm in Njal's saga, when Njal's son Helgi attempts to escape disguised in a woman's cloak. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's clear in that context that Helgi is convinced by his wife to make the attempt, and there's a clear indication that this isn't exactly warriorly behavior. Warriorly, <laughs> that's pretty clear here as well. I think. Yeah, not, I mean, I don't think we're meant to. Yes, I don't think we're meant to applaud Brand for hiding behind his mom and then sneaking out of the booth in disguise. Uh, but in any case, once he realizes he's been outmaneuvered, Halfred immediately challenges Gris to a duel. Finally, here we go. Mm-hmm. Listeners who are caught up on this podcast will have heard all about the Icelandic duel in our last saga brief, so we'll only explain this briefly. Uh, and those that haven't listened to that episode yet have only themselves to blame. Okay. So the essence is that once the duel's been challenged and accepted, there are a bunch of protocols that kick in. One of the mm-hmm. most important ones is that there's a three-day waiting period for the two sides to sort out the details, appoint witnesses, seconds, and arbitrators, and for everyone else to try to talk them out of it. Right. But these two have been circling around each other for a while now, and nothing's going to stop them from finally having their day of reckoning. Let's go. It's clobbering time. Not exactly. No. No. Boy, it's such a mislead. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> the night before the duel, Halford has a dream in which he's visited by his old friend, King Olaf Tryggvason, who tells oh, him three boy. things. That Halford is in the wrong and God will favor Gris. That Halford must submit and pay compensation to Gris. And that Halford should ride out in the morning to a crossroads where he will meet men with important news for him. Ugh, it's so frustrating. Why are these sagas, these scald sagas, always undermining their own climactic moments? Is it too much to ask for one lousy duel in this thing? 
I know. It's, uh, of course, it's true that Halford's pretty clearly the instigator in this situation, but in this circumstance, calling off the feud is almost worse for him than going ahead with it and getting killed, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. going to think that he's afraid of Gris. In fact, yeah. when he tells a friend about his dream the next morning, his friend accuses him of cowardice. Right, but of course, Halford doesn't have time to defend himself. He's got to go follow the third part of the dream and meet the travelers at the crossroads. Yeah, it's a good thing he does, because the news is quite huge. Halford learns the news about the Battle of Svalder and the death of his friend, King Olaf. I mean, this news so is... Not to undermine the significance of yeah. that, but this is another thing that drives me nuts. Uh, so, Olaf can show up in Halford's dream and make him call off the duel, mm-hmm. but he can't just go ahead and tell him the news about his death? No. That no. seems like the first thing he should be mentioning. Hi, Halford, I'm dead now. By the way, don't fight Grizz in the morning. That's your ghost Olaf voice? Not spooky enough? No, not at all. My bones are thoroughly chilled. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we'll save the explanation of the Battle of Svolder for the judgment section, but for now it's Mm -hmm. important to note that this moment ties Halford's saga into a much larger narrative about the conversion of Scandinavia. Yeah, I don't think we've mentioned it, but listeners may remember Olaf from Eric's saga as the Norwegian king who deputized Leif Erikson to convert the Greenland colonies. He's really the engine behind a lot of the Christian expansion in this time. Mm-hmm. And since we know that the that the Battle of Svolder takes place in 1000, we're also right alongside the Icelandic conversion. So this mm-hmm. assertion yeah, of d- the divine interest in the outcome of Halford's duel is happening at the same time that Iceland is accepting Christianity, due in large part to the pressure that was coming from Olaf himself. Right. And of course, uh, Halford's devastated by the news of Olaf's death, yeah. since their bromance is really the center of the saga. Yeah. But before he can leave for Norway, he has to settle things with Greece and deal with the damage to his reputation. Right. And somewhat predictably, everyone's mocking Halford for backing out of the duel. Right. Now, everyone but Gris, mm-hmm. that is. Yeah. It turns out that Gris sympathizes with Halford's sorrow over the loss of Olaf. He insists that everyone stop making fun of Halford, makes a gracious speech about being relieved he doesn't have to fight the duel, and turns the dispute over to Thorkel Scratcher for settlement. So... Gris turns out to be the nicest person in the saga? Kind of, yeah. This, that actually makes sense. Uh, these, poet so- these poet saga writers seem to really revel in choosing jerks to star in their stories. Well, it's not like Gris totally lets Halford off the hook. Thorkel mm-hmm. Scratcher is asked to make the judgment in this case, and when all the offenses are tallied up, Halford is required to pay a significant fine for making verses about Gris and Kolfina. Yeah, and even then he can't resist making a snide poem about having to pay Gris and still wishing he could have Kolfina. Thorkel actually has to step in at that point and tell him to shut up. <laughs> you'd think he'd have learned by now. No, yeah, you'd think so, but no. He, Halford is remarkably resistant to lessons. <laughs> so, now that's the end of the feud, but Halford's still going strong. Mm. He travels to Norway, where he composes a long dropper about King Olaf, and then hears about Olaf's enemy, Earl Eric, being in the area. He's still grieving for Olaf, so he makes plans to try to kill Eric in revenge. Right, but of course Olaf shows up in his dreams again to tell him not to do it. What a nice And instead, to compose a poem for Eric and become his friend. (laughs) (laughs) So, according to this saga, Christians get to become Obi-Wan Kenobi when they die? (laughs) (laughs) I guess. But only special Christians. Okay. Olaf's practically a saint. Use the kennings, Halfred. Trust your feelings. <laughs> I think that is officially our first Star Wars reference on this show. Oh, I don't think so. I, I don't think it's our first one. I think you've done that before. Really? Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's disappointing. I think uh, the first time you did it, I was uh, shocked and appalled. And now here you are joining in the fun. Ah, uh, well. Can't uh, help it. 
Anyway, uh, telling Halford to trust his feelings is actually really terrible advice. Uh, the next day, he tries to see Earl Eric, but the Earl wants him put to death for gouging out the eye of Thorleaf the Wise. Oops. Remember that from back when? Uh, Thorleaf's one of Eric's followers, uh, and so Eric tries to have fetters put on Halford. Oh, tie him up again. Uh, right, except that this time, Halford decides he's been chained up enough in the saga, mm-hmm. and so he goes on the att- the attack and kills the first man to approach him. Yeah, it's never a good idea to be the first nameless guard to try to shackle the hero. It's true. That's that's <laughs> like story survival 101 right there. Yeah. Don't be the red shirt. Uh, so Halford's about to die. But no, because oh. the one-eyed Thorleaf the Wise speaks up from one of the benches, uh-huh. and he asks that Halford's life is spared. But why? Halford plucked his eye out. Well, yeah, but he left him the other one. That's very generous. Well, gratitude's a matter of perspective, I guess. Although I would imagine perspective's harder to figure out when you only have one eye. <laughs> <laughs> he bumped into him when he was trying to get up there. There you go. So in order to save Halford's life, Thorleaf negotiates a settlement between him and the Earl. Halford has to compose a poem about the Earl within three days. Of course, if he'd listened to Olaf Juan Kenobi, he could have just done that in the first place. But now we've got a head price poem, which mm-hmm. is a great bit of saga weirdness. Do you want to explain this or should I? Well, it's pretty straightforward. As we've seen already, poets have a tendency to shoot their mouths off. And Mm -hmm. this isn't the only time that a poet has to essentially pay for their mouthing off by composing a complimentary poem for the local ruler. And the most famous example, Mm -hmm. of course, is A.L. Scholar Grimson's head price poem for Eric Bloodaxe. Right. But in that case, we get the entire poem as part of the saga. Here, we just get the opening lines. You are worthy to hear an ode, war valiant one, wrought for you. And that's it. That's kind of an... A little bit disappointing. Um, Apparently, we're not worthy to hear. No. Well, maybe it's all that survived, you know? It's quite possible that we only have a fragment or something. But Mm -hmm. presumably, the rest of it's really good since Earl Eric rewards him for the poem and lets him go. So it's a shame we don't get to hear it. Well, it's actually possible that this whole episode made the author a little uncomfortable. I mean, why is that? Halfred, at this moment, is essentially sucking up to the guy who killed his lord and beloved friend. Hmm. Uh, Diana Whaley uh, suggests that the dream with Olaf telling Halfred to compose a poem for Eric is the author's device for explaining what is otherwise kind of a despicable shifting of Halfred's allegiances. Well, he's just doing what Olaf told him to do, though, right? Right. Well, with that dream in place, yeah, it sort of justifies yeah. his his subsequent actions. Yeah, so we can't really blame him too yep. much. But yeah, it does, so it does look a little bit shady from the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. So that's yeah, it. Yeah, you remove the magic dream, yeah. Yeah. We're done, though, right? This is the end of the saga. No, 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 no. You know better than that. Uh, oh, yeah, I do. It's always that way, though, isn't it? <laughs> this is the yeah. end. No, it's not. This thing has more false endings than The Return of the King. <laughs> <laughs> Were you just waiting for that line to land? What you... <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a... Yeah. Bazing! Halford's going to sail around for a while again. <laughs> He's quite the wanderer. And get into he gets into a disagreement with a neighbor in Iceland. Does he ever live in Iceland? What's this? Yeah. Anyway, he gets into a disagreement with a neighbor in Iceland over half a mark of silver. Quite a lot of money. Mm. <laughs> the neighbor is a farmhand of Onund of Mossfell, whose son, Hrofn the Skald, we already know, was the antagonist of Gunlaug's saga. Yeah, we, uh, we actually heard about this episode briefly in that saga, and there's not much to it, really. No. Hrofn forces Halfred to pay the farmhand twice what he owes him, and the whole thing is settled. It's mainly significant only because shortly after this, go. Halford gives Gunlaug a lift to Iceland and warns him about not underestimating Hrafen. We banished those two in our last episode, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem to have impressed them much, though. Hmm. Besides, this is happening at the same time as their saga, so they haven't quite been outlawed yet. 
See, this is why time travel movies make my head hurt. (laughs) All right, let's try to wrap this thing up. No, 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 no. We're still not quite done. Seriously? Uh, Halford sails around the north for years. Of course he does. But he can't shake his sadness over Olaf's death. He's pining in the fjords. That's right. He's pining in the fjords. (laughs) For his lost friend. He's pining for his lost friend, Olaf. Yes. The saga writer's really playing with this idea of the star-crossed lover of the other poet sagas. But it's an interesting dynamic, especially as the shift occurs over the course of the saga. It's true. I mean, at this point, there's been no mention of Kolfina for a while. And apart from an oblique reference in Halford's final verse, we're done with her. Yeah. Halford's heart is breaking, just as Helga's did in Gunlag's saga, but it's for a different sort of lost love. It's really interesting that the the saga, his relationship with Kolfina, the saga author emphasizes the physical aspect of it. It's lust. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. You know, and, yeah. and at that moment, he's a pagan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, at all those moments, he's, he's pagan or he's turned from his Christianity. But mm-hmm. um, the true Halford, the Christian Halford... Um, the concept of love is quite different, and it has nothing to do with physicality or, or lust or anything like that. It's more of a, uh, a refined and intellectual kind of love, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool. Yeah, cool no, it's, it's – yeah, he sort of learns what real love is, and it's this kind of Christian fellowship, right, that, that is not about sex. It's about feeling. Yeah. I want to know what love is. This is a song he's saying. I want Olaf to, to show yeah, me. I want Olaf to show me. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, I'm going to pull the plug here because all that happens in the final section is that Halford eventually succumbs to his depression while sailing. And when he's knocked into the bottom of his boat by a rogue wave, he dies. Well, okay, wait. But not before passing his filgia onto his son, Halford. Can we at least talk about that? That's not fair. Well, let's be quick about it. Okay, so this Fulgia is a spirit creature. Sometimes Mm -hmm. an animal, sometimes person-shaped who accompanies a person. In Scandinavian context, uh, they're nearly always female. Yeah, I mean, they're uh, they're usually called fetches in English translations, Uh but that really doesn't capture their role. Fetches are more like spirit doubles of a person, like a ghost doppelganger. Uh, Fulgia are more like manifestations of a person's fate or luck. Yeah. Uh, usually they can only be seen uh, when their person is facing his or her death. Which, of course, is exactly what's happening here, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But what's up with his passing his fulgia on to his son? Well, he's got to leave the kid something besides his name. Oh, yeah. Somehow Halfred Halfredersson also ends up with the nickname Troublesome Poet. Oh, yeah, true, true. We totally forgot. It's in the name of the, the saga. I think mm-hmm. the writer's just being unclear on purpose up to this point. That's entirely possible. When you look at other sources for Halford's life, there's actually no reference to a son named Halford. Uh, this is just a bit of artistic license on the author's part. But it also makes the whole Fugia, spirit luck, ghost woman thing much more interesting. I mean, this this son is probably invented by the author, is given Halford's name and nickname, and ends up taking on Halford's fate ghost. Is Is this just a doubling of Halford himself? You mean like Looper style? This is a, Looper, a yeah. past version of Halfred that has to confront his dying self in order to inherit his Fulgia and fulfill his own destiny? Yeah, I guess so. That's it. Because yeah, that's an awesome idea. I want to see a movie of that. Yeah, with Bruce Willis. <laughs> no, I thought you said you hate time travel movies. Don't you yes, say they hurt your but head? I'll, but I'll, I'll make an exception to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis as dueling Halfreds. <laughs> That would be awesome. I see, I see. So anyway, there's this short coda in which Halford's body washes up on shore in the Hebrides, and it's treated rather poorly. Some servants from nearby monastery steal his grave goods, but St. Olaf appears to chastise the monastery's abbot, and the goods are returned. So now Olaf is appearing in other men's dreams? Yeah. The force is strong in that one. Okay, we've got to be done with the cheap Star Wars references. 
cheap. How dare you? Besides, you started it. And that's the end of our story. Oh, good. I'm really looking forward to laying some judgments on this saga. <laughs> well, you'll just have to wait a little bit longer. Trying to mm. make sense out of Halford's career has taken a bit longer than we'd hoped, which is something we say at the end of every uh, summary section. It pretty much is, yes. <laughs> so we're going to be posting this in two parts. Another one of these. Yep. Sorry about that, guys. Well, it gives you saga lovers out there who have read Halford's saga time to come up with your own judgments before you hear what we have to say. Are you assigning homework now? Sorry, sorry. It's the start of the school year. I can't help it. (laughs) (laughs) But in the meantime, you can check our full list of episodes at sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com, our blog site. You can go to our Facebook page or our Twitter account. You already know the address, but it has something to do with Sagathing. And of course, remember to rate and review us on iTunes. (laughs) Uh, Until next time, thanks for listening and bye for now. See you later. Well, let me just hit the button here. Oh, baby. Do, 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 do.